This Boss Barista episode is brought to you by Ernex. If you've worked in the coffee industry, you probably know Ernex well. You've used their products to clean your equipment. You've attended an event that they've supported. You're probably even using Kefiza at home to clean your pots and pans. One of Ernex's latest advances is a range of environmentally friendly cleaners called BioCaf. BioCaf products are made entirely from plant and mineral-based ingredients and are fully biodegradable. They're available for both commercial and household coffee equipment, so you can use them at the cafe just as easily as you can use them at home. But Ernex is doing more than just making eco-friendly cleaners. They've partnered with people like me and several other coffee professionals to highlight some of the best sustainability efforts in the industry with the BioCaf Sustainability Series. I'm super excited to be part of this initiative and to have another platform to share my thoughts on topics like sustainability. Visit the Ernex website to read my recent piece on Onyx Coffee Labs switch to oat milk in their latest cafe and learn more about BioCaf by visiting www.ernex.com. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. If you're feeling unsure of yourself or uninspired, I urge you to listen to this episode. Maybe even grab a pen and paper if you have them handy. My guest today is Nichelle Goodry, a college administrator and founder of Black Girl Black Coffee. Nichelle started the brand as an Instagram account, a way for her to document her journey through coffee. The account was an exercise in memory and a way to honor being a novice at something that you love and has since evolved into a coffee brand that reclaims the black history of coffee. I was drawn to Nichelle because she's a storyteller. As she shares her journey through coffee, She reflects back on meaningful experiences and administers important life lessons she's learned along the way. There's no way to reduce this conversation into a few bullet points or a theme because Nichelle shares so much of her personal relationship to coffee, it'd be a disservice to try to boil it down to just one point or one theme. But in that specificity comes universal ideas that I hope you take to heart about staying inspired, filling your cup, and giving yourself permission to seek joy in the things you love that will hopefully leave you feeling a little bit better after listening. Here's Nichelle. So I was wondering just to start, if you could introduce yourself by saying your full name and what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Nichelle Guidry. Um, I am a college administrator, and I am also the creator of Black Girl Black Coffee. What are some of your earliest memories of coffee growing up? My earliest memories are of, generally speaking, my my father would have coffee most mornings. Um, we had a a white Mister Coffee automatic coffee pot in our kitchen um, that he would fill with Folgers from a blue can um, religiously. 
So that was kind of a daily memory, but my, my most formative coffee memories happened in my, in my grandmother's house, my paternal grandmother's house. Um, and I shared this story in my, my glitter cat video last year about how my grandmother would brew her coffee on her stove and she would always put pet evaporated milk in her coffee and she would serve her coffee in the most beautiful um very dainty most often floral um cup and saucer sets and coffee in her house in beaumont texas was a very communal activity she would always have people coming by from her neighborhood for her coffee um and hers i guess was kind of like an unofficial like gossip and coffee spot um, and so hearing the way grown black women talk around, talk around co coffee tables is just was such a fascinating thing for me as a child. Yeah. What did that evoke for you as a child? What did you think as you saw people sitting around and drinking coffee? Mostly that I wanted to be a part of the conversation. Um, I'm just, I, I think of myself like as a child, sometimes my memory of myself is very like deeply curious, always wanting to be a part of things, but also like very shy. Mm -hmm. um, if I ever had a chance to meet my younger self again, I would tell her like, just go, just get in there. <laughs> um, you know, get in that grown woman talk and ask the questions you want to know. Um, yeah. So just the feeling of wanting to be a part of it. Um, I drank her coffee. And at the time, of course, I, I could not have imagined it without that pet evaporated milk because it made it creamy. It gave it sort of a medium heavy like body and it made it sweet. It was like a dessert the way she prepared her coffee. It was just wonderful. What was your relationship to coffee as you grew up or as you, you know, started to maybe be part of those conversations uh, at the at the table or just just as you grew up? I don't think that coffee became like a like a, a part part of my life until later. I think like many college students, like when you're trying to like pummel your way through an all nighter, like you think, let's go get coffee. Um, and so we, we'd have like a little like French press that we would use in my college dorm. Um, you know, making some like grocery store coffee, you know, to kind of help us get through the night. Um, so it was really wasn't until my adulthood, like young adulthood, late twenties, that coffee started to factor pretty prominently into my life. Um, and that is when I took my first trip to Ethiopia. Um, actually, let me go back a little bit further than that. Like, let's see. The first trip was in 2016 and in 2010, 2008, I used to live in Berkeley, California. This is when I was in graduate school and I was working at a church in downtown Berkeley and the church um, Sexton was a first generation um, immigrant from Ethiopia. And he and his family took me in for that summer that I lived there. Um, and so in between meetings at the church and in the evenings, if I was done working late, like they would have me in their home and they would feed me the most delicious meals and 
we'd watch movies, we'd hang out on the couch. Um, we would just, you know, just talk. You know, just, just experiencing really, really deep community. And um, they introduced me to the Ethiopian um, Buna ceremony um, because it was a sign, first and foremost, of hospitality. Anytime they had a guest, coffee was going to happen. And so his wife um, would prepare coffee from from the rinsing of the green coffee to the roasting over the open flame um, to the grinding with the mortar and pestle to the preparation, the brewing and the jebana. And I had never had anything so delicious in my life. <laughs> um, that summer, I it is safe to say that I spent probably about 80% of my time just buzzed and coffee drunk from the delicious coffee that Amada and his wife would prepare in their home for me. Their introduction of, you know, Habasha food cultures and coffee cultures was exactly what inspired me to take my first trip to Ethiopia several years later. I love that you explained the the ritual of the Ethiopian coffee ceremony, because I think that that's something that probably a lot of people have heard of, but mm -hmm. maybe haven't experienced for themselves, which mm -hmm. is number one, incredible that that was your like more, I guess your second introduction to coffee in a way, mm -hmm. um, in, in your late, in, in like later in your, in your adulthood. Mm -hmm. So you had this experience, you lived with this family for a while. What inspired you to go to Ethiopia later? Um, it was actually like a big, like life change that inspired me to go to Ethiopia. I had just gotten divorced and I was just kind of in this space of like, why wait? Um, you know, it was something that I wanted to do ever since that time, um, ever since, you know, being in their home. Um, and so at that time it was 2016. So what is that? Like eight years later, like eight years in a mm -hmm. world apart from that, that experience, I just was kind of in a mindset of like everything that I want to do, I'm doing it and I'm going to give myself all the joy that I have not experienced for so long. And that was at the top of the list of, of the list of things I wanted to do. So I saved my money. I invited my two best friends. We went for my birthday, which coincided with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church celebration of Timket. So we went and um, did the whole festivities around that, had some great food, some great coffee, made some great friends. So it was an incredible time. I wrote down the phrase, give yourself all the joy, mm -hmm. which I think might be a theme that comes up throughout this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, but I also want to uh, make sure that we're uh, telling the story kind of linearly so we can follow along, mm -hmm. which I love that you're giving me years, which mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I'm even like writing it down like on a timeline or like, okay, 2008, this yes, happened, 2016, absolutely. this happens. Absolutely. So, yeah, so you come back from Ethiopia and then and then how do you how do you take the experiences that you had in Ethiopia and start to explore coffee more? So, around that time, I was still in graduate school. And so I think again, um I, again, like coffee is just sort of like this thing that I am turning to to help me power through things, right? I, I I remember I did find 
a place in in Chicago, which is where I was living at the time, where I could experience Buna. Um, but that became a very rare experience when I got back because I just got back to my my life, you know, school and work and everything. Um, but I was always just very cap- captivated by the memory of the way that it tasted. Um, and so I came back home from that trip with like three or four bags of, of coffee from a pretty, um, I guess, prominent coffee roastery in, in, in Ethiopia called Tomoka Cafe. And I came home with a jebana as well. And so I just went and got like a blade grinder to grind up my Tomoka beans and you know, would just kind of play around with the Jebana on my stove. And that was how I, you know, brewed my coffee for <laughs> at least a year or so afterwards. I was, you know, making my coffee in the Jebana on the stove in Chicago. Um, my next step in the coffee journey, though, was um, buying an espresso machine. <laughs> I love um, that you laugh at that now. <laughs> And I love the Nespresso machine. I actually still have that machine because sometimes I'm just like, I just need something to go. I need, I need to make something quickly. Um, but that was the next step. And, you know, the little, bought the, the set that had the, the, the espresso machine and the frother that stood up right next to it and bought all the like capsules and did all of that. And I bought this like mini mini machine to where like I could actually like take it places with me. So when I got to the point in school where I was writing my dissertation, um, that espresso machine actually made it into the room where I was writing my dissertation. And I was just, when I was up all night, all day researching, writing, I was also drinking a lot of espresso from that Nespresso machine. Um, I would say like, the journey would have to fast forward at that point to like quarantine, which is when it like really like shifted coffee wise. Right. You've mentioned that your coffee story, even though you have all these experiences beforehand, mm-hmm. that your coffee story is really a story of quarantine. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could talk about what, what, yeah, what happened to you during quarantine that inspired you to think more about how coffee factors into your life. Yeah, I think like just practically speaking, like as the story goes, I was on Zoom one day for work and um, I was on my second cup of coffee um, for the day. And I had just finished like brewing um, this cup of coffee on like a Bodum wire filter and little carafe set that I got but I had had the same coffee earlier that day on the French press and I was just so captivated I was I remember sitting on zoom and I like like how does this taste so different like I literally this is the same coffee (laughs) (laughs) and you know I think it was just that moment that I was like something you know like this is there's there's probably something to this and that night I was just on YouTube watching James Hoffman all night. (laughs) Um, And 
definitely developed a little coffee crush on James Hoffman. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> this is a James Hoffman safe space. So don't. Thank you. It's- <laughs> I, I was just literally like, this man is brilliant. He's with his accent, his little red glasses, his little haircut. Uh, thank you. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it was just a rabbit hole from there. Like, you know, um, tasting like a singular coffee with such flavor nuances on on two different brewing devices or brewing methods, which is really intriguing to me. Um, and so really from there, like next thing you know, I'm ordering, you know, V60s and paper filters and and I'm ordering a coffee, like a food grade scale for my kitchen. And I'm just watching all these YouTube videos and that's when I decided to decided to start the the Instagram account because I wanted to document it. Um, I had obviously time on my hands, like many of us did, um, and I just thought this would be really cool to kind of remember this as a part of this pandemic. Um, I didn't know what was going to unfold that year, but I knew I wanted to document how I took in that experience of living through a a global pandemic. (laughs) And that is how that Instagram account was born. I think that's really important that you mentioned the importance of documentation, because I think Mm -hmm. when you look at something like Instagram or like social media, there's this pressure to just like create content. But I think Mm -hmm. it can be as simple as taking a moment to take a photo of what you're doing to remember that moment. Mm -hmm. It seems like that was a big driver for you, just trying to remember these experiences that you were having. Yeah. I mean, I was scared, you know, scared AF, right, of what was happening in the world. I, you know, we never seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really scary. And I felt like if I was... If, you know, my my survival in that season emotionally was really going to depend on how I framed that time. And that's kind of what I wanted to do, like with that account. Like I want to document something fascinating. I want to document something beautiful. I want to document a moment in my life where I'm a novice again. Um, and, you know, make it, make it something that I can remember. And like, I didn't start that, like intending for it to become a, a coffee brand. I just wanted to document how I was getting through a pandemic through coffee. I, I didn't have this context when I first looked at your, like, just like everything, like your website and mm-hmm. your social media account. And knowing this now, I think I'm going to have to go backwards and and look at that through that lens because there's something so like wildly positive about that answer in like, but, but, but in the same time contending with a very potentially negative time Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're all at home, we're all not sure what's happening. It's scary. So like, how do we find meaning in, in the spaces around us? Yes. Definitely. And see and it seems like that's something that you're you're naturally inclined to do. Like you're naturally inclined to tell stories and find meaning in 
in the experiences that you have. And one of the big experiences that you had and one of the reasons that our paths have kind of crossed is that you did a competition called Glitter Cat, which the year that you were part of it, it was all online because of the pandemic. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about this coffee competition that you did and how how you even you know decided to do it yeah I think that that was a really pivotal moment for me um and you know more than you're putting on because you helped to select my application I did that's true (laughs) um but you know I you know I just remember kind of thinking well why not why not um I believe at the time, like I made a connection with Erica Jackson, Erica Jackson, who's like my coffee bestie, the most amazing person ever. Um, And I I feel like she was instrumental in me deciding to like submit an application for it. Um, And she's just very encouraging. Like you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at this point, you're like kind of making coffee at home, but Mm -hmm. you're not. You're not necessarily like I'm not a I coffee work professional. in the coffee industry. Exactly. Yeah. And that was actually like my static. My static was like, shouldn't this be reserved for people who know what they're doing? <laughs> um, or, you know, who have invested like all this time, like gaining all this coffee proficiency. Um, but again, I just feel like one of the things I never want to do is is um I don't want to foreclose on any opportunity for me. I'm going to always leave the no to someone else to tell me. Um, never. I don't want to operate like that. I don't want to eliminate myself from things. Um, so in that spirit, I just submitted an application. And um, yes, and I just, yeah. And, and I don't, yeah, I guess the rest is history. But I... I will never forget that experience because, you know, here I am, a lifelong coffee drinker, someone who, you know, is at this really important juncture of embracing this lifelong passion and interest of mine and finally like exploring it deeper. And this opportunity met me um, with workshops and with mentoring and, oh gosh, I'll just never forget like... Chelsea from Atlas spending an hour or two on Zoom, like coaching me on my brewing. And I just was, I just felt so floored that, you know, like Eric and Veronica created such a generous thing, you know, Um, there was just so much generosity involved. You know, there's like all this equipment that was just like donated to us and all this training and all this mentorship. and. I just felt like if this was just so freely given, like I just am going to embrace it. Everything that I can learn, I'm going to learn it. Um, And I'm going to dive really deeply into it. And in the end, like. um, In the end, you won. Yeah, I won. You know, and and, you know, the winning was really amazing. And I thought that, that that was a really cool experience. But. Um, just kind of more importantly, I feel like it introduced me to an amazing coffee community um, through Glitter Cat, but also um, got a Glitter Cat and, and broader than just Glitter Cat. But um, 
Yeah. In some sense, like I said to you earlier, like it was like a green light, like do this, <laughs> do this, do coffee, do something in coffee, bring, bring your passion to life. Was that always intuitive or do you think that winning the competition and the response that you got afterwards helps interpret that green light? I think, yeah, I think winning and um, the response was certainly, um, you know, affirmation. And I want to just also say, like, I've been sitting with this question of like, and if you didn't win, what would that have meant to you, Nichelle? Um, And I think that it probably would have still meant like, do it because I enjoyed it. And I think part of what this is helping me to undo is that everything that we do in life has to A, be monetized, B, you know, has to lead to some accolade or some something like there are some things that at least for me, there are things I want to do just for the sake of like, I just like it. I enjoy it. I love it so much that I want to share it with whoever will share it with me. And coffee is that for me. I like the distinction that you made that we, as a society, sometimes tend to get caught up in winning something or being named something mm-hmm. or um, maybe just even producing things for the sake of producing things. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's okay to just like something for the sake of liking it. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay to pursue coffee just because you like it. Like you didn't yeah. have to, you're right, you totally didn't have to win. And I like that you asked that question because mm-hmm. I think. I don't know. I like imagining like the a hundred different ways my life could go. Yeah. Like if this didn't happen or that didn't happen. And there are certain things that I wonder if I would have done or wouldn't have done if mm-hmm. certain things hadn't happened. Yeah. Um, and I like that you answered that question for yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think um, it's like my coffee story is a story of like being multivocational and I think another part of the reason why I gravitate, gravitated to coffee is because like my work life, you know, is intense and it's a lot, (laughs) it's a lot of pressure and it's, um, you know, I, I just, I really needed a creative outlet. I needed an outlet where I could not just be under the same microscopes and under the same pressure where I could just bring my heart in a different kind of way. And, and, and and do it in a way that um is deeply like just artful and lovingly curated and crafted coffee is also that for me you know so there's a story behind everything black girl black coffee and like i do really feel like there's a little bit of me in all of it how do you stay inspired <laughs> um i stay inspired by um I think like my, um, I love to read. I love listening to music. Um, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm very, very big on like African-American art forms. Um, so black literature, black music, black visual arts, black poetry. Like there's something very, um, inspiring about all of it for me. So at least once daily I'm reading something, even if it's just a poem, I get, I get poems into my inbox in the morning. Um, I'm subscribed to several Substack publications where like 
amazing, beautiful writers, you know, are laying their hearts bare and it's coming directly to my inbox. I have all kinds of Spotify playlists for whatever mood I'm in. <laughs> um, and yeah, um, I, I just try to stay um, immersing myself, at least in small ways, daily in things that don't have anything to do with my job. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really important to me. Yeah. <laughs> It does seem like you're the type of person who acknowledges the importance of staying inspired and finding ways to connect to community. So like mm -hmm. trying lots of coffees mm -hmm. or, you know, staying engaged and seeing like what other people are doing. It seems like you're mm -hmm. someone who's really good at kind of replenishing your pot. Yeah, um, I am. And I feel like part of me has learned that, you know, it's just not possible to do anything if you're running on empty, um, you know, and I just, yeah, I know that I know what it feels like to be burnt out and I've, I've experienced that and I still experience that. And I think just doing little things daily um, to try to stay, stay inspired is, is just a great way to navigate that. Something that I think is really important for Black Girl Black Coffee is that it is very much about, about you. It's very personal, but it's also very universal. And I wonder if that's a parallel that you see in your coffee brand or mm. your Instagram stories or the way that you share information. Like, how do you create an identity that feels like this is true to me and this is something that I want to share of myself, but at the same time is a way for me to connect with other people mm -hmm. and and find universalities that connect all of us. I, I know that's a big question, but um, it's big. I I love the question though, and I I feel like I want to answer it, but um I want to ask you a question first because I really appreciate this insight. I've never I I have not asked like how does this come across? And so it's really interesting to me to hear that it comes across with some universalism and so can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, when I so when I've first decide like I want to interview someone, I try to like not necessarily just learn about them by like reading articles, even though I do that, mm -hmm. but like trying to evoke like what does their work make me feel? Mm -hmm. And there's mm -hmm. something about your Instagram presence that makes me feel like this is so much about you because you're so present in it. And it's mm -hmm. usually <laughs> you sharing something that you really love. Like it isn't just about like this is coffee and I'm trying to sell coffee. Like, it's like, I, I feel really passionate. Like the passion really comes across, yeah, um, in this really authentic way. And then mm -hmm. as I was going through your website, it felt like you were able to identify parts of your story that were mm -hmm. clearly demonstrative of where you are in your coffee journey now. Yeah. Um, and it feels like you reflect a lot backwards. Like you say, mm -hmm. like, you know, I, I took this trip to Ethiopia and this changed me. I lived mm. with a family who introduced me to the Ethiopian coffee ceremony and this changed me. And that's not always intuitive. I don't think that we always mm. are taught to look backwards and make mm. connections. And that's like the most exciting thing for me, I think. I think yeah. that that's maybe where I see 
your presence kind of speaking to me. Mm. So maybe, maybe the way that I'm interpreting it is a very personal one for myself (laughs) because I find the power of connection and, and tracing back where like an origin story starts for me. Like, how did I, how did I get into this? Or like, why is this important to me? Yeah. So I think that that's where I see that for you. Oh, that's so encouraging. And I, I just really appreciate that because I think, um, yeah, for all intents and purposes, like Black Girl Black Coffee is um, at least like the Instagram page is like, I'm still documenting a journey. Like, I don't feel like it's just a brand. And I don't feel like it's just like me trying to sell you my coffee now. Like, I feel like in many ways, like I'm still sharing um, how I'm growing as a coffee person. Um And so it is very personal. Um, And I feel like, you know, I follow a lot of coffee accounts and there's some coffee accounts that I really, really love that do things very differently. But there's like a handful of coffee accounts that I don't follow because I feel like, um, you know, they're devoid of a story. You know, like I, 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 coffee has already been stripped away from its home. You know, it's already been colonized. Um, And I think that there's just some, some spaces, some brands that are just further reiterating, you know, the disparities um, in the coffee supply chain and in the coffee industry. And I'm really, really interested in, um, coffee as a personal thing. I'm, I'm like, I, I, I love following coffee accounts where you can see people's faces and where everything is not so pristine and so perfect and is like not highly produced Instagram reels because it reminds me that like there's a person behind this account um, that loves coffee that, you know, and, you know, I feel like that's the category that I want to fall in. And so I'm, yeah. Um, yeah, it is personal. And I feel, I feel grateful that that comes across. And even now, like with the coffee, with Be The Light and and the brand Black Girl, Black Coffee, like there's something about, like, I want to show how people, like I repost like customer photos of their coffee or customers with their coffee. And I love things like that because it reminds me that um, it's, it's, while it's about me as the person that started, it's also bigger than me. Right. Um, right. Brewing a new community. <laughs> you know, um, It's also bigger than me. And so I really appreciate that. Right. I, I'm glad that you were able to identify both of those ends, because I think that sometimes it can seem like it's mutually exclusive, like it's either about you or it's about your customers and the people you connect with. But I actually think that the more the more you center yourself and I don't mean this in a selfish way, but in a more like the passion comes from me, the ideas come from me, like I have to listen to them Mm -hmm. and I have to think like, what do I like Mm -hmm. that I think others will love too Mm -hmm. is really, I think the impetus for really authentic coffee brands. Like you were saying, there are some coffee brands and, you know, this is maybe just like a symptom of capitalism where Mm -hmm. it feels like the message is buy this coffee. But when I look at what you're doing, it's like, I am excited about this thing and I want you to have it. Like, I want mm-hmm. you, I want you to experience this too. I think that's definitely the sentiment at, at the heart of it all. So I'm really happy it comes across. 
what so you have the you've mentioned the 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 coffee blend be the light that you um that you formulated i was wondering if you could tell me the story behind that yeah um so be the light is actually a single origin it's from burundi um and i i wanted to start with burundi for black girl black coffee because it's my favorite origin um um, anytime i've had coffee from burundi i'm just like oh give me more give me more give me more um so the story behind it is um phyllis johnson um, from BD Imports has been sort of mentoring me through um, the establishment of my brand. And so um, I worked with her to um, source this coffee that was produced by an amazing Black woman who's no stranger. And her name's very familiar in the specialty coffee world, um, Angel Sisa um, in Burundi, who has just such a fascinating story. Um, grew up in Burundi on a coffee farm and sort of went and as she grew up, got educated, um, got a job working in um, exporting goods in Burundi and came to a crossroads where she decided to bring all of that expertise to bear on her her roots in coffee and acquired um, a farm and now like works um, or, or owns owns the coffee, owns the washing station, owns, um, and, and also exports. And she's the only woman in Burundi that has like all of this ownership and power, um, over her, her goods, um, and has utilized, um, her position and her power to, to empower more women in Burundi in coffee. Um, and I just, I love her story. And, um, you know, so when I, when we purchased the green coffee from Phyllis, she sent all this material back, like videos about Angel and biographies. And this woman is just absolutely incredible. I mean, she's, she's a force. And I think she also walks in like a profound sense of her forcefulness and like moves with a keen sense of how can I help bring some other women with me? And like, I, that's a story I wanted to share. And that's a story that I feel, um, yeah, I can really get behind it. Um, I named the coffee be the light because it's just, it's full of citrusy notes that are you know kind of balanced by the chocolatey notes, um, but it just tastes like I always when I first sampled it. I sampled this. I said it tastes like a sunrise, and you know it just reminded me of like this con this trope of you know being the light, being the light in 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 whatever situation in whatever space you're in, bringing the light, being the light. Um. So yeah, that's the story of be the light. It feels like. Just at the end, just when you were explaining be the light and bringing the light, it feels like that's a metaphor a little bit for your coffee journey. (laughs) It can be. It can be. There's definitely resonance. Like just even writing down some of the things that you've said, um, some of this was said obviously during the podcast, some of this was said off, um, off air before we started recording, but some of the things that you've mentioned is, you know, constantly being inspired and replenishing your cup, 
um, mm-hmm. how you're trained as a womanist to not erase yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just seems like if I had to think of a visual metaphor for you, I don't know why this is coming into my head, but, um, like I'm thinking of you walking into a room and it being like, not necessarily dark, but I can just see like light radiating off of you. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, which is funny. I, I, I often like mix metaphors in my head sometimes. Um, <laughs> and I don't know. And, and you kind of saying like, you know, sometimes you have to bring the light mm-hmm. and be the light mm-hmm. um, just reminded me, I think of like the way that you, you seem to approach coffee. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I actually do struggle sometimes now with like continuing to do specifically the Instagram page just from a space of total authenticity. Cause I mm-hmm. think there is some, um, there's some pressure like, Oh, it's, it's a brand now. Should I change how I do social media? Like, and I'm like, mm, I'm not, I'm it's tempting, but yeah, no, I don't think so. And, and because when that's, when I start to make that switch, like I start overthinking it, I start overthinking what I put on my page when I'm like, you have something in your life every single day that has to do with coffee. You don't have to overthink the sneak shell. Like, mm-hmm. just show your journey the same way you always have. And I just think, like, I am attracted to authentic people. I'm attracted to brands that lead and tell stories from the heart. And, um, yeah, there's some people on on Instagram where I'm just like, thank you for reminding me of 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 how basic this really is like it's it doesn't have to be complicated steve from the coffee experience the coffee enthusiast like he's one of my closest coffee friends and his instagram page like it's just got heart you know like he's showing himself roasting coffee and traveling and having coffee with his family and erica you know erica's page is full of like coffee reviews because she has an incredible palate and people pay Erica to taste their coffee. And I'm like, you better do your thing. And I love, love, love just following people who are just documenting the dailiness of their coffee lives. And I want to, that's the kind of person, that's the kind of space I want mine to be as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that we've talked a lot about this throughout the podcast, but one of the most exciting things about talking to you for me is how much of a storyteller you are and how much stories seem to factor into your life. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the role of storytelling for you. Yeah, I, I feel like stories are just such a common denominator, you know, across so many different lines of distinction and difference. Who doesn't love a good story? (laughs) Um, And so I, I feel stories are such powerful vehicles for um, values, for beliefs, for truths, whether they're personal truths or communal truths or universal truths. Like you can do so much more with a story um, than you can with a law, you know? Um, And so, yeah, stories are just very powerful for um, speaking to the heart. Um, one of the first stories that I shared on Black Girl Black Coffee has actually um, been the impetus for what I'm doing now, and that's the story of Rose Niso. 
um, who was the formerly enslaved woman who purchased her freedom from her slave owner selling coffee in New Orleans. And if you're in New Orleans and you're black and you love coffee, maybe you've heard her name. Um, but when I told that story on my page, there was this massive response because like many black women across industries and across time, her name and her significance have been erased. But what an incredible story that this woman utilized the law of manumission to sell coffee in front of a cathedral on Sundays. And by doing that, she gained so much economic strength, personal economic strength, that she was able to purchase her freedom and be a free Black woman um, in the antebellum South. And went on to start the first permanent coffee cart in the French market and went on to establish her cart in the same place where Cafe Dumont now stands. And you, you know, Cafe Dumont has global name recognition, but this woman, this black woman whose concept is at the heart of it, at the root of it, you scarcely hear her name. And that um, is a huge driver for me. That's a powerful story. Um, in fact, um, there's a reel coming out today or tomorrow about our the Black Girl Black Coffee logo. And the mm. rose in the axis and the logo is an homage to Rose Niso. Because here is this Black woman who created this incredible coffee recipe that made her so famous that she made so much money that she bought her freedom. <laughs> now, that's amazing. And then went on mm. to empower more um, um, Les Venduze free Black women to establish their own food and hospitality businesses in order to buy their freedom in New Orleans. Um, That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And coffee I'm is a way to share these stories. Is there anything that you'd want people listening to this to know about you? To know about me? Um, I just, I'm real. <laughs> I'm a real one. You know, whenever I, I post anything, whenever I'm, you know, thinking of the next coffee that I'm going to sell, like my heart is in it. And so if there's a reason, if there's a season where I'm not posting as much, it's because I'm, I'm working on something and I don't want to like, I don't want my I don't want my content to feel automated, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm real. I feel like I, I want to bring my heart to what I do. I think you absolutely do. And I am so honored and touched that you took time to talk to me because I feel like you just brought so much to this conversation. So thank you for taking this time to chat with me. Thanks for the invitation to be on your podcast, Ashley. I really appreciate it. That was Nichelle Goodry. You can learn more about Black Girl Black Coffee by visiting her website, blackgirlblackcoffee.com, or by following her on Instagram at blackgirlblackcoffee. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'm just looking for a better day. Boss Barista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. 
you can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bossbarista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com slash bossbarista. Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode and tag us, that would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week.